Hello and welcome to another episode of the Board Game Shenanigans Podcast, where we review the games we've been playing and discuss board game related topics. My name is Bob. And I'm Natasha. All right, this week we are going to be discussing our trip to Origins. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about some of the games we've been playing, our overall impressions of Origins. Uh, Yeah, we're just going to kind of dive into it and somewhat dissect our experience this year at at Origins. Yeah, tell you about what we did. First and foremost, everyone knows that one of my favorite things to do at a convention is to go through the vendor hall. Like, that is my that is my thing. Um, the vendor hall was interesting this year because, like, a lot of the bigger publishers weren't there. It was different. It, it definitely felt different than it did in previous years. Uh, they've been kind of dwindling down a little bit over the years, so it wasn't, like, dramatically different than it was. But every year there seems to be less and less of those big vendors and a lot more of the smaller uh, smaller vendors who sell like crafts and, and stuff like that, you know, or like, um, what am I looking for? Like other, other items besides board games. Almost like uh, nerd paraphernalia. Yes. So the new thing that I noticed this year in the vendor hall that's like the new nerd thing for people to have <laughs> is I saw a lot of vendors selling both uh we'll call them aromas i guess they're like i don't know how to describe it so there's people selling bars there's people selling soap there was people selling uh bath salts and then there was people selling candles i saw a lot of people selling that kind of stuff yes for sure in years past i've never seen it so i was i always thought it was interesting it didn't if i'm being honest it didn't help or improve the overall smell in some of the areas (laughs) no it did not they were definitely purchased with the intent and went home and used not using the con can't use it at the convention no way no way no how not using it i ate my checks mix you know my feet smells coming out it just (laughs) it was it was just very interesting to see that like that's the new board game or nerd fad i guess so to speak there was a, and that's the thing is if you see one person you're like all right whatever cool yeah you know that's something new that people are trying awesome but i saw a handful a handful of vendor, vendors selling that stuff there was just a lot i would say there was just a lot of vendors selling that like niche items you yes know, yep. board game accessories board game crafts board game like a lot of handmade stuff a lot of artists like a lot of artisan things that we typically have seen but not, i have not seen it at this volume agreed yeah it was it was much higher than normal um and that we did not see a lot of the big publishers nothing from asmodee so asmodee wasn't there which was interesting mm-hmm. uh there was still i mean a decent amount of publishers there but it wasn't it just didn't feel like a convention where publishers were really present it felt like it was more those niche artisan type booths than it was like publishers i mean you still yeah. had you know capstone yeah grand gamers guild you had uh game found was there um showing off several things you had mind clash that there was sent they were selling uh tricarion they were doing anachrony so they were they were selling a lot of their stuff you know you had restoration games there selling their new hotness so you still had publishers but it just didn't feel nearly as big yeah, Arcane Wonders, All Play, they were there with big booths with all their demos and stuff. But there was a handful of big publishers that had big booth space with lots of table space, lots of demoing. Yes. I will say All Play stepped up their game because normally in years past, you've seen them have just basically like wire racking for all their merchandise. This year, they all their racking was wood. It It looked very good. It was. Yeah. It looked a lot better than in the years past with just that straight wire racking, which was cool uh, to see them like step it up. I do love their booth because they set up a bunch of tables and you just walk up and and they're at like standing height. So you just can stand and like demo a few of their games and you can kind of go around. They've got them all set up. They're really nice. I, I like their booth probably the best. It's really, it's really spacious and it makes you want to hang out there. Well, and they have a handful of people demoing games it's not like one person showing off several of the games we're talking there's four or five people that are their only responsibility during the convention is to show people the games that they have Mm -hmm. 
and they they released some new stuff and we got a chance to demo a few of their things um was there anything that stood out specifically from all play that you were really interested in the roll to the top the the roll and write that one was fun of course they had fiction there which i had already played and i already really liked that one so those are the two bit their two newest ones that that i was interested in i will say they were supposed to have either demo copies or games to play of trailblazers so i was a little disappointed that they didn't have any sort of trailblazer stuff there i was hoping i'd be able to pick it up and like they were supposed to have a presence there but again it was supposed to be with them and it, it i i didn't see anything which Who publishes trailblazers uh bitewing games yeah i didn't see them at all even some like uh gray fox games who typically has you know a fairly large booth was really really small and they sold out of their stuff like I remember walking through Saturday and it was like, you sold us, thanks Origins, you sold us out of everything we have. So they, they all they had left was like promos and stuff. Mm. It was weird. Well, it's good that they sold out though. Yeah, it didn't look they like busy. they necessarily bought much. It was a pretty small booth overall, but mm. yeah. So that's that's the vendor hall. It was interesting. There was um people there their first time that made Crokinole boards. And have you ever played Crokinole? I haven't. Okay, I'm terrible at it, but it's a flicking game. I think you might actually like it. So you're trying to flick Probably. these discs into the center, and these people had made these epoxy um, boards, and they were beautiful. They were so they looked so well made, but they were so economical. It was like I remember talking to the lady. I was just like, I mean, these things are nice. Like I'm surprised you're able to sell it as economically as you can. And she's just like, well, we're not in it to necessarily make money. We just want to. You know, we want to, you know, produce a nice product. This is kind of like the side hustle for them. But, it, I mean, those boards were pretty nice. And they had some Crokinole tournaments going on. You could play doubles, all sorts of kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, they said they sold out too, didn't they? They did, yes. They had a few display copies that they were willing to sell. But, yes, they everything they brought, they they sold. I'm curious how the um, all the vendors did, especially the the ones that didn't weren't selling board games that were selling the, the niche um the, the the nerd items there just because i wonder if they did really well because there was less board games or if it was a little bit more competitive because there was so many of them but i don't know they they seemed busy i've heard good things i've heard good feedback yeah there was um a, a little small booth that i bought some dice from and i remember chatting with the two ladies who run it and they apparently do really well in the conventions they they've gone to several different conventions and typically they do end up making money on the on the excursion. I think for a lot of people it's it can be pretty lucrative. I mean they can make money at it. I know I was talking to some publishers and they said I asked them about that because I've often heard in the industry uh, some people chalk this up as a marketing thing. It's it's all an expense. They never make money. And then other publishers that are just like, I need to make money at this. Otherwise, it's just not worth my time to come to this. And yeah. talking with some of the publishers, they, they, they did well. They did make money. But I also heard through the grapevine that Origins had jumped up the pricing on the booths. So they started getting them as expensive as, let's say, a Gen Con, which makes it slightly more difficult to justify that cost. Especially because Gen Con has significantly more people walking through those halls. Yeah, I wonder if if a lot of these vendors are just it's just not worth their time going to both of them. And maybe Gen Con is the big one that they're gonna you know, if they had to choose, they choose the bigger one. Well, if you had to choose between both and they were relatively similar price points, which one would you pick? Gen Con. Gen yeah. Con because bigger people, more people are going there to buy. Yeah. Uh Ravensburger was there. Which they didn't have any games. They only had puzzles. Uh, and I don't know if that has anything to do with the lawsuit or not over their trading card game. So for those that don't know, uh, Ravensburger is being sued by Upper Deck over basically the new trading card game that they're coming up with. I think it's called Lorcana, which is you can play as Disney characters. And this is supposed to be a pretty big trading card game getting released into the industry where a lot of people are going to going to want to play the game just based on the IPs. So you can play as Maleficent, you can play as uh Mickey Mouse, you can play as Stitch, you know, you can play as all these Disney characters, so it should be a relatively big thing. 
but Ravensburger right now is is in the middle of a lawsuit with Upper Deck because I think an ex-employee at Upper Deck that was working on a game that very similar to Loracana ended up moving to Ravensburger and now that same kind of design's coming up. Which is interesting when you think about it because you can't copyright mechanics. So if they're trying to sue, can you now copyright mechanics? Like, is that a thing you can do now? Yeah, but if he designed the game for them and then he left and, and is now designing the same game, I, I mean, I get it. That's a that's a gray area. Yeah, but then you're you're saying that you can't. It's a it's a slippery slope to go down to because if let's say they go to court, which honestly, if I'm if I don't think they will, but if they went to court right. and Upper Deck won, then now like you're you're dealing with a bunch of you know intellectual right. property copyrights and stuff. You know? Yeah, designers can go from publisher to publisher designing very similar games. It doesn't have to be a completely different game. Take Curious Cargo to Trailblazers. Those are different publishers. Same designer has a very the exact same mechanic in it. You know. Well, very rarely do designers have no compete clauses because they're all independent contractors. Typically, most designers design a game and then they sell it to the publisher. So for them, it doesn't. You know, there's no non-compete or anything along those lines. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. We talked a lot about this at Origins with the people we were hanging out with. And I I think the general consensus is Ravensburger is probably just going to cut Upper Deck a check and be done with it and release that bad boy by Gen Con. You know, they they need to get it out. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if you have this card game that people are so interested in, especially people who typically don't play trading card games, it just, I, I don't know. They they need to release it this year, and I think they're probably just going to settle. I mean, Ravensburger is a big company. They're, they sell a ton of puzzles and a ton of other things. I imagine they're just going to settle. So maybe they won't. Yeah, people are scrambling and itch, um, itching to get their hands on this game. So yeah, then it needs to be there so they can sell it. Yeah, we uh, some of the people we were hanging out with, one in particular is not a huge trading card person, but they are all in on this on this because it's Disney. Right. The, yeah. the the Disney IP is just going to sell it for itself. Hopefully it's a good game. I mean, I'd be interested in trying it out as long as the game's pretty decent. So, yeah. All right. So, so Bob, what'd you spend your con doing then? You did the vendor hall. Yeah. Anything else that you spent a lot of time doing? Mm, playing games, probably. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Game games. I was playing games. I was playing games, meeting people. <laughs> For me, the vendor hall is not a big part of my con experience. I don't, I don't terribly enjoy it. I, I kind of actively avoid it a little bit. Uh, I mostly go to play games, you know, and I ended up, I think this was like the, the con of friends. Like we just had a really fun group of people that we hung out with the whole time. We were always playing games with somebody. We met a few people. We added, you know, had a few different groups kind of all coming together and hanging out together. It was really, for me, it was the con of friends and, and, and just playing with all kinds of, of people that I really enjoy being around. And so that was just a ton of fun for me. Yeah, we met some new friends. We were able to connect with some old friends. So it was it was definitely fun. I think the group we were hanging out with for the most part was about eight strong, I would say, mm-hmm. give or take. Some people coming in, some people filtering out, but typically it was about eight people. We got a lot of different plays of different games in. Um, I got to play Challengers, which was interesting. I would yeah, say. Yeah, well, what'd you think of Challengers? <laughs> what did I think of Challengers? Um, well, well, for, first of all, most importantly, yeah, who won Challengers? I don't remember. That's I, I for remember. whatever for one for whatever reason when I was like doing my stats and stuff that that game didn't get um get logged. Weird. Oh, I don't know. I can tell I you. Know. I have a picture of it actually. You have a picture of the game. Uh, it's me. I am the reigning champion of Challengers. I, hate this so I much. have. I have uh, won every single game I've played officially no. two games now and because of my strategic decisions and how good I am at board games. Yep. That's, In general. Yep. Yeah, that's the thing. So hmm, <laughs> how do I want to approach this? First of all, yes, you won, which is frustrating for me because I had an opportunity to beat you. You and I played. And I, I was playing. I was deciding so well what kind of cards to keep in my deck, and then I made a mistake, and I ended up getting like benched out or whatever you call it. 
So I ended up losing. Yeah, whatever that thing. So I ended up losing to you. Which, if there was one match in that entire game that I wanted to win, it was that particular match. Mm -hmm. That's true. Okay, let's back this up. Did I like it? Hmm. It was fine. I I had fun playing it. It boggles my mind that it was a Kennerspiel nominee. I still like we've beating a dead horse with this. But it boggles my mind. I have no idea why it's a Spiel nom or a Kenner Spiel nominee. That said, I had fun. It was it was entertaining. But it it's you know war. You you do make some decisions about how you're going to put cards in your deck and then how you're going to thin your deck. But then it's just basically luck as you draw, or it's all luck as you're drawing cards to battle the other person. I think the system's kind of interesting. You can stack cards in order to beat them, but then it all kind of slides together. So now you have a lower value. You need to you need to win. So I think that stuff is kind of actually pretty interesting. Here's my one problem. Here's like my major complaint about the game. We played seven rounds, right? Moving Mm -hmm. into the final, the final battle. It's the final battle. Anyway, so we played seven. I should have been a singer. I'm just saying. So we played those seven rounds and I won five and lost two. You won five, lost two, right? Yep. So then after you've played your seven, you count up how many stars you have, whatever, fans, whatever. Fans, yep. Yeah, uh, stupid. Anyway, you count up your points, and you had 30 winning five matches. You didn't gain any additional fans throughout the course of the game. It was just those tokens. I won five. I had 21. The gap of winning five was nine. Was nine like that's a well, the, big that's difference? Because, okay, the the games get progressive. You get more fans per each round. So you won early games. I won late games. That therefore I won. Plus that all the trophies, like the late game trophies, are worth a lot more than the early game trophies. And also each trophy is worth a different amount. So it really like if we were a hundred percent equal playing each other or like winning the same number of rounds the same levels we probably would still have different amount of points but hopefully we'd be more competitive at not nine away from well i lost early and then i lost that game against you and then i won the last game mm-hmm. it so was really lost against me they lost you the game that's the point that is a fact that i that loss to you lost me the brutal. opportunity it was not a brutal loss it was just a loss okay the Don't loss was like, brutal it was it was not that bad. You were scared. I had you on the ropes. I had you where I wanted you. I had you on the ropes. And then I decked myself or benched <laughs> myself. Whatever. I Yeah, I lost. So something like that kind of was just kind of a bummer that, you know, winning five matches, I was so far away from it. Like I wasn't even I wasn't even in the third spot to move into that. I don't think that's what ruined the game for you. Uh, It made it didn't. I mean, it didn't feel good. What ruined the game is losing to you. If I'm being honest. <laughs> that left such a sour taste in my mouth. And the funny thing is, I like I didn't want to play the game at all. And then one of the uh, one of our friends, Ben, was like, I was like, I'm having, you know, I'm having John bring it up, and we're gonna play it. And I'm like, Ugh. yes. And I was like, yes, I'm in. It was a good time. It, it was, was not a strategic game. It was just a good time, and that is all it is. Perfectly fine of a game. It deserves all like the hype and the. And everything because it's so ridiculous. But yeah, not the Kenner. It's so bizarre. Anyways, continue. I think it was a fine game. I had fun. I will say there's one thing that they did in the game that I really enjoyed. And Ben pointed it out that you. So when you when you're doing your matches, you get a card and the card tells you where you're supposed to move next. Like you're supposed to move to this side on this mat or whatever. There's one card in that game that the that one person does not move at all. So if they're, you know, if they're having mobility issues and they can't move around the table, they don't have to. They just sit in the same spot and people come to them. Assuming which I think your group is, only has one person with mobility issues. Right. I mean, the, true. I there's there is that, but you know, the fact that they they have something like that in the game, I think is actually kind of interesting. I think that's, you know, good looking out on them for having that in the game, but it was it was a it was a fine experience. It was just a pleasure of a game that we 
played i guess uh we played we also played chocolate factory which uh we also yep. determined everybody except for bob determined it does not belong on the underrated games list first of all i'm gonna stop you right there because you made it sound like 19 people played this game all right i taught two people how to play this game and they said it was a little it was a little much they actually refer to it as zolkin light because of how things are moving you need to keep track of where things are going to be on your little conveyor system to upgrade it which mm-hmm. never occurred to me that that was a thing um it was it was a little heavy for them but it was not they did not say it was not no i'm pretty sure that's exactly what he said i disagree He's... i disagree i think he you must not have heard it. he must have said it to me because he didn't want to hurt your feelings he told you that it was not a lies. You're lying. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way he said that. Maybe he did. That's fine. He said it was a it was a little on the heavy side for him, which is fine. It's fine, I guess. Whatever. I love the game. Whatever. Everyone else. You know what? My, one of the guys that works at our local game store, he told me that he agrees with me. So there you have it. Two people. Well, you have two people. All right. All right. That's fair. Yeah. We can um, play a two player with him. I also played Oceans for the first time, and I did enjoy that a lot more than I then I liked Evolution. I didn't care for Evolution that much. It was a, a light little card game that I, I liked just fine. I won't give it a full review because I only played it the one time. But it was it was a fun little game about fish and it had beautiful artwork. That's really what kind of sold the game and when you try to collect all these little fishes. And But it's kind of mean. I think that's probably why I won't play it again is you're stealing fish from your the other players and I didn't love that part. It just kind of felt back and forth. I steal from you, you steal from me. Hmm. So the other main game that uh, our friends wanted me to try was Don't Llama Dice. <laughs> that was fun. Ben, I actually enjoyed that game more than I thought I would. <laughs> he, he... Well, that, that was because I got destroyed in that game. It was supposed to be like how many rounds? Like a lot of rounds. And it was like three rounds because it was the first to like so many points. And then you lose like points are bad. I got like. 40 plus points in three rounds. It was ridiculous. And one round I got zero point. Or one round I got one point. So I had two really, really bad rounds. I think that's why you enjoyed it so much. No, that's not it. It's, it's a push your luck game. So you're rolling dice and you're trying to get rid of cards and the cards have points on them. And then you can like stop whenever. And as soon as you stop, like you're out for that particular round. So with this game, you push your luck to see if you can try to get the lowest score. And I pushed my luck a little too much. And then basically i made you score a ridiculous amount of points and you play to 40. Whoever hits 40, that triggers the end of the game. Like that's the last round. And Natasha got 53, which was really good, yeah. which was well done. Uh, the winner got one point. So that was good. It was a push your luck game that actually was, it was kind of fun. Like you were just chucking some dice, seeing what happens, removing cards. Do you want to stop? Do you not want to stop? I actually, surprisingly enough, enjoyed it more than I really thought I was going to. I played Knit of Alir, which I hadn't played in a long time. That was fun. I really enjoyed that one. It was a nice, quick little game. We get to play Downtown Farmer's Market again, which I just love that game. Everybody I played, everybody that played that game really loved it too. Played Millie Forey again. And I think everyone at the table kind of had the same conclusion I originally did that it was fun, but the having to select your card before everyone else plays can spoil your turn. So they'd only play again if you could play one card at a time. Yeah, it was. it's tough with that game because, like you said, you have no planning, so you can end up playing a card and it does nothing. When you draft it or when you pull the card, you think, okay, I'm going to score like 30 points and then somebody takes the spot you were trying to get and now you score like four. Yeah. So it feels bad that you've drafted this card that doesn't matter, but I wonder how much length will increase based with people choosing a card after somebody's already played. Yeah. The game could like take so much longer because of that. Possibly. Or it might, you might have just a few options even available to you by the time it's your turn that are obvious that are worth any points that I'd be willing to try it. The fun thing was with it that uh, I was <laughs> I was so far behind. So at one point in the game, Natasha's at what like a like a hundred and thirty or so points, mm-hmm. and you I'm were at, at thirty because I was I met you. I was like I'm gonna pass Bob. Yep, she almost lapped me, and I came back and I won that game. That felt yeah. good. That felt good. But I got lucky a couple times. You know, people didn't take my spot. I ended up being able to score a ton of points. 
So because of that, I think I think next time I would play, I would want to try it with the cards. You know, just or try it with the choosing one a card one at a time. Yes, I think that's what I would much rather try that than I would anything else. All right, my favorite game that we played as a group though had to be Skull King. That was so much fun. We played that a couple times, and we even played it at eight. Does eight was the highest you could play it seven. at? We played seven. We played it at seven. Yep. And you had to have the the mermaids and the kraken all added into the game. And I was a little worried. I thought it was just going to be pure chaos, and it would be even harder to predict the number of tricks you could take. But it wasn't. It it worked. It was fun. It was pure chaos, but it was fun. So we've never played with those extra characters. It's always been like quote unquote the base level, you know, without like the whale crack and all that stuff. And including that stuff, man, that changes the game, not significantly, but just enough that it gives you so many other things to think about. So, for example, the whale. What does the whale do? When the whale gets played, it basically nullifies everything except card value. So the winner of the trick is whoever played the highest number. It doesn't matter if you played a pirate. It doesn't matter if you played the skull king. It doesn't matter if you played a mermaid. It's just the highest number. So typically you would just, if you you were throwing off suit, you'd be like, well, I'm going to get rid of my 14 because I don't want it. Well, if somebody throws that whale, now you lose that trick because you threw off. You win the trick. Or you win the trick. And now you're like, ugh. So now with that whale in play, you're like, oh, man, does this, should I, should I throw my, okay, there's like four people to go behind me. If I throw this 14, I could win it. So now you're trying to throw, like you're trying to get rid of the 14 in a different way. Ah, so good. So good. We didn't get a chance to play any of the crew, but we played a decent amount of Skull King, which, uh, those new cards, so much fun. So much fun adding those things in. I got code names pictures out because I couldn't get regular code names. Uh, and it was either pictures or Marvel. And you know, I don't like those IP code names. So I tried pictures. I never played it before. It was okay. I didn't love it as much as I like the OG code names. Yeah, it fell flat for a lot of people. What didn't you like about the pictures version? Just a few too many things going on. It was a little tricky to like see what was in the picture. I think words are just a little bit more clear. Plus, they're, they only orientate one way. So they're upside down either for the clue giver or for the, the guessers. You have to pick one and orientate it that way. I didn't love that. I, th- I thought the pictures thing was fine. I per- if I had to pick a version to play, I'd much rather pick the word version yeah. than the pictures version. I got to play an older game, Enemit Domain, which is a deck builder, which I enjoyed that. I think I played it before years ago, but I got to play that one again. That one was fun. You know what game was like the game of the con? What's that? Thunder Road Vendetta from Restoration Games. Oh, yeah? Did you get a chance to demo this or no? No. So this game is brand new. They had the Glorious Maximus Edition or what? I don't remember the name of it. But the like super cool mega edition, which they sold out in just like hours. It was so quickly that they sold out of it. Like it was ridiculous. So then the rest of the con, it was just like the base game and you could get a bunch of the expansions for it. You could get you could basically get all the content that was in that mega box, but just in all its like little small things. Like it got it sold out so quick. There were so many people like by that booth. It seemed like it was the game that most people were interested in. So you said it wasn't real. It wasn't really a racing game, though. It's mm, think of like Mad Max racing. I would say because I had like a chance you're to demo and trying to destroy each other. Pretty much. So when I was demoing it, I had a chance to demo it. The way it works is you control three vehicles. So you control a large, medium, and small vehicle, and you roll four dice. And then on your turn, you're going to ass- assign the dice to one of the three vehicles. You do have one spot that allows you to do like a special bonus action that it's not like a full action. It's basically like a free action. That's what you're going to use your fourth dice for. So what you're going to do is you're going to roll the dice, you're going to position it, and then you're going to move your vehicle. And depending on where you move and where you end up, you could like crash into another car. When you crash into another car, you basically roll some dice and see what happens, see where people move. And then you have an opportunity to shoot at any cars in your front arc. And when you shoot on those cards and if you hit them, then they take damage. And based on that damage, they can do different things. They can slide uncontrollably somewhere. They could, you know, run off the road, that sort of thing. And you can go around the outside 
you know, a part of the track, but you could get run into and you could end up getting pushed off the track. And if you do, you lose your vehicle. So you don't necessarily win based on finishing the race. Sometimes you can win just by player elimination. Like somebody loses all their, if the two people are playing and one person loses all their cars, then it very well, that's the end of the game because you're last man standing. It sounds very take that-y. It's, it's combat. You're, you're fighting other people. It's, it's very streamlined for what it is. The only thing that I think it's not real streamlined in is when you roll the crash dice or whatever, you have to orient them specifically to know what happens. So when you crash, you take your car and you put it on top of the other car. You roll dice and either the top car moves or the bottom car moves. And when they move, they can move in specific spots and then potentially you could shoot. I mean, there's little helicopters in the game which you can activate with your bonus die. They fly in and shoot shoot a vehicle. So they, they can do some different things. But it's it's more a Marathrash than it would be like a Euro game. I'm not sure it's a game you would like. I thought about picking it up because I, I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I was going to based on the demo of the few turns we played. But hmm, I don't know. I don't think I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to pass on that one. I don't think it's going to be your cup of tea. I don't no. think you're going to enjoy it very much. My concern is player count and needs, I think it's going to be one of those games that shines with higher player count. Yeah, probably. We did play Thunder Rolls, which is a newer racing game, and that one was fun. So the first half of the game is this dice dice section where you roll dice and it's very much like las vegas where you're placing you're going to roll your set of dice you're going to pick one number that rolled and place all of that number in that number slot and then you move your car based on where you place it and then at the end after everyone's placed their dice whoever has area majority in each of those spots is going to get one of the three cards that are available there you could draft whoever has the most is going to draft the the first one first and i liked that all part of it but then you take those cards so that then the last phase of the race is then a programming phase where you take those cards that you had earned and if you didn't earn enough then you would get these regular cards that aren't as good and then you place them uh, like programming like you're going to choose which one you're going to play first and then everyone goes around and reveals each one i really like the first half the dice drafting and the the area control of the the actions and stuff i didn't love the programming because i had a few cards i was like okay this should be good as long as i end up here but so much could happen you might not end up there and you might not be able to take advantage of the card so i would have rather played like a hand of card instead of like pre-programmed them but other than that i thought it was a fairly fun racing game I'm surprised you enjoyed it as much as you did, considering the first part has that era, area majority portion of things. Yeah, I ended up doing okay. I got a few cards out of the deal. So it it's different. Yeah, I didn't mind that because because you're torn between getting the area majority, but also like using the action you want to use. So I could end up getting, you end up having some control. Yeah, and you need to pit stop, which is the one die, I believe. And it basically flips your player board. So your player board starts off like at the ready and you can flip it to re-roll some of your dice after you've rolled and going to the one spot allows you to reflip your board back. And if you don't go to that one spot at all throughout the course of, you know, the first phase, then you could end up taking hazard cards and those hazard cards can be quite a bit more devastating based on the fact that you didn't pit stop. It plays eight, and if you don't have eight, you have a dummy player. There's some rules for the dummy player. You just flip over a card. It's not a big deal, but it does take a little bit of time. So it's it's a little long, a little fiddly for a racing game. I For me, that's, I think, the biggest thing is a, it's a racing game that doesn't necessarily feel like a race. Mm-hmm. It, it feels sluggish, but it's it was enjoyable. I think there was some cool spots with it. I think it's, um, you know, the secret cabal has coined the phrase beer and pretzels game i think that's what this is it's a beer and pretzels game it's a game where you can just sit down with some friends and play and see what happens and just kind of you know chit chat enjoy each other's company it's not a strategic racing game by any means but Mm -hmm. there are there are moments where it's a little bit sluggish i do agree that the programming aspect of things seems a little odd I think you could get away with you know having it as a hand of cards and playing them in that way it would feel slightly more thematic because then the driver's reacting to what is happening on the track before them as opposed to just doing the thing that they thought they were going to do. So I, I feel right. like playing the hands of cards would be slightly more thematic. And I think it would be more strategic as well. Mm-hmm. I'd recommend it if you're looking for a big racing game that you can play with eight players. 
you know, I think that's cool. It works well with eight. If you want to play a game like seven or eight, it's probably a good one. Yeah, and there's different maps, and the you can get different condition cards that affect the way the map plays. Uh, so there's a lot of replayability, it seems like, in the in the base box, so that's cool. My favorite game that I demoed was Endeavor Deep Sea, because I liked Endeavor Age of Sail quite a bit. Just didn't like the theme, but the Deep Sea one, same game, same, very clean, very streamlined, but feels kind of big and heavy. It, it was it was very similar, had the same where like instead of like a building, you get a diver that go, or a person, a specialist or something that gives you a special power to use, plays the same with the discs and with taking the discs off and all that. Um, but instead of a board, you have tiles that you are exploring throughout the game and laying them out and then determining where they go. And so I, I really, really like that game. I think it's going to be a, a pretty popular one. I agree. I I want to review it on this podcast once it comes out because I think it's a game that deserves it. But playing that one play, I really enjoyed my play of that. I remember mm-hmm. Endeavor being cool. And I remember one of the things I liked is the fact that you just get stuff like you get a building at the start of every round. And this you're getting what uh, a worker or some a sort specialist of... of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, I think it's cool that you're getting stuff. You're always getting stuff in the game, which is always nice for players. I really, really, really enjoyed the exploration part of this game where you could dive deeper and then draw tiles and based on those tiles, be able to place them strategically on the, on the map. I really like that. That's mm-hmm. probably my favorite distinction between Age of Sails and Deep Sea is the yeah. fact that you can you make your own map each game. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. If you liked Endeavor, Age of Sail, you'll like the Deep Sea. It's like the same, but but better, but still keeps that nice streamlined feel to it, but with a really good theme and a little bit more interesting. It's going to change it up each game a little differently. There are also those mission cards. So each game you basically have a mission card, which you know gives you end game scoring objectives. It gives you these little spots where you can place your cubes and get some additional you know, pushes on some tracks and different things like that. So I think that's cool because it, it changes what you're going to score game to game. And it changes the way you're going to be putting cubes on these additional tracks. So I think that's cool. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, this game, at first, I wasn't that interested in playing. And I actually only got in the the demo by accident. Yeah, that's right. Somebody didn't show up. Yeah, somebody didn't show up. And I was just hanging out. And the the lady that was teaching was like, hey, if you want, you can join. I was like, sure. And yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So I'm I'm. I'm anxious to try the the version that's going to come out, the the actual legit version. I demoed In the Footsteps of Darwin, which I really wanted to. Um, this is a tiling game. Where you're kind of making a grid of different species. It's very, very light. It's, it's rated like eight plus, And I, I think that's accurate. I think you could easily play it with an eight-year-old because you're, you're really just drafting these tiles, putting them in your tableau. And then getting points based on the symbols that show up there. Um, the But it was really pretty. The artwork was really pretty. It was easy to learn, easy to teach. I think this would be a good game like for in the classroom. Like if you're talking about what are some games in the classroom. Because it's so easy to... Um, because it's so easy to teach and easy to play. And the artwork is interesting. It's got some, you know, science parts to it. I think it'd be a good classroom game. I don't know that it'll be one that we'll play at game night very often because of how light it was. Mm, that's a good that's a good point. I think we play if we play it, I think it'll be a couple times and then it probably won't see it won't see the board game night again. It'll be one of those things that you play with your family. It's family weight. You yeah. know, this is the kind of game that would be, you know, a spiel nominee. I don't think there's anything terribly unique or interesting about it. It's a very basic tile laying game. You know, and I and I don't yep. even I can't even really say it's tile laying because you're not connecting tiles to each other. It's more of you take this tile, it goes into this spot. You take this tile, it goes into this spot. You know, and then you can overlap tiles and cover things up and you get advantages to doing that. So there's some, there's some like euro mechanics where you're trying, you know, different ways to score points, but nothing yep. that's terribly interesting or exciting about it. It wouldn't be one I'd rush to, to get, or I don't think it'd be one that I would play over and over, but I, I could see it being a big hit in the classroom. Yeah, I think, a lot, I think, families are really going to enjoy that game but yeah i agree it's i think the way you're getting the tiles is interesting 
So you have the beagle and you take the beagle and you kind of like move it. And then you can take one of the three tiles in the row or column it sits in. And then based on where you get it. So if you take the third tile, then the beagle moves three spaces, that sort of thing. And then you fill in the gaps. So I think that is kind of cool because then you can kind of predict where you're going to put it for another person. But they also have these people that allows you to move it back one or forward one, I believe. Yeah, I didn't find that mechanic terribly interesting. It was just the way we played the game. Yep. It wasn't. It didn't make me make a decision any different. I went for the tile I wanted, regardless of what my, the next person was going to do. But I guess I don't typically do that anyway. So, so we did get a chance to demo Tribes of the Wind, at, and they were. It was basically at the same publisher that had in the footsteps of Darwin. And man, the person who taught that game to us, it just didn't feel like she wanted to be there. <laughs> and it. The thing is, like, I get that you're having a, you could be having a rough day, but even at one point, I, re- I remember we were sitting down and I pointed to the person that was behind the like little counter. And I was like, can somebody show us this game? And she was just like, yeah, one minute. So the lady just like came up and she's just like, well, I guess everyone's going to get their own lunch and just like throws her phone on the counter and starts trying to explain the game. But like she said it, she was saying things in such like the snarky way, almost. Maybe she was hungry. She must have been hungry, Bob. Hangry. That's what it is. She was hangry. She wants some of that hot chicken takeout is what she wanted. Yeah, not none of this teaching <laughs> this same game over and over again. Okay, I like Tribes of the Wind. It was also light, but it was really interesting. The card play was really interesting. The game mechanics, so you're you're getting pollution off the board, then you're building like little tree houses and, and doing whatnot on the board. Very basic, nothing terribly interesting about it. But you've got this hand of cards and you set it in a tray so everyone can see the backsides of the cards. And the cards you get to play, the ability depends on what the cards you or your neighbor have. And, and so you can see what your neighbors have, the types of cards, but you can't see what they do. You know, and so I thought that the card play was really interesting. The, the board game mechanics, fine. Very generic. But the card play was interesting. And I liked that. And it was, of course, it was gorgeous because it was Vincent your trade art. Yeah, the art was amazing. I would like to try the game. A full game? Yeah. I'm hesitant to offer my opinion because I don't want to, th- I don't want the way somebody taught me a game to affect what I think of the game. It is light. It is probably lighter than a game I would really want. The problem is it has Vincent Dutre artwork. So, like, naturally, I want it because it looks amazing. Yeah. But the question is, is it going to be worth it for me? I don't know. I don't know. Light games, when it comes to light, uh, getting a light game specifically for me, they need to pique my interest in other ways. And that just, again, maybe it was just the play of it. We'll try to get our hands on it and play a complete game because I enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting. But we only played a couple rounds. And part of that, I th- we probably could have played the whole game, but I was just like, mm, I'm kind of done. And part of it was I just, the iconography, I think, could be better. The graphic design of it uh, could be slightly better. Maybe it might have been just the bad teach, but because it, I did, it did click once I like figured it out. I was like, okay, this all makes sense. It all matches. Yeah, and again, it could be it could be the person who was teaching us the game, but left a little sour taste in the in my mouth. I do want to bring up something. Okay, I taught Return to Dark Tower for three other people, and unanimously was voted. The best game they played at the con. Wow. I'm just saying, you know, that game, that game's good. You should play it. You should play it sometime. Do you think I would like it though? No, I don't because it's cooperative and you know all the information that's out. They, there were times where people were asking me like, hey, you know, what do you think I should do? And I'd be like, well, it's your turn. I mean, you can do whatever. And I'd offer some opinions and, you know, part of the teach of the game is, especially in a cooperative game, it's very easy to give them the base outline, and then when things start coming up, explaining to them how those things work. Mm-hmm. So they don't necessarily need to have everything presented to them. But we ended up winning, which was good. But people seemed to really enjoy it, which which I thought was great. I I really like that game. I've played it a ton. The fact that I was able to teach it to some people and they, they were interested in playing it again, I think it was really cool. So just saying, Return to Dark Tower, game of the con, baby. For me, it was Don't Llama Dice. That was the game of the con for me. <laughs> it wasn't. It was Challengers. <laughs> Kidding, Jen. It's not. It wasn't. All right. I We demoed another game uh, called Raha? R-A-U-H-A? 
Oh, yes, this guy. Yep. Rauha. Same publisher as that uh, Footsteps of Darwin and... um, Tribes of the Wind. Tribes of the Wind, yeah. Yeah, this was a card drafting game where you draft to the left and then to the right, and you've got these little square cards. Yeah, you have little square cards you put in a a three by three grid, and then you're going along the top, and you're moving, you're activating this column, then you're activating the next column, the next round, and then it moves to the corner. You get some kind of special thing you can do, and then it moves to the side, and you activate that row, and you just kind of go all the way around the board until you've done it nine times. Um, you you know, it's got some set collection. You want to get like three in a row. It, it looked interesting. We only played a couple rounds, so I can't get a full grasp of if the game is good or not. It's kind of seemed like a light to medium light uh, drafting game where you're doing resources and whatnot. Yeah, it was an interesting game. I just don't know if I care enough to want to play it again. It yeah. was it was fine. It had some interesting things in it, especially with where you're active as you're activating rows as you're moving. You know, you can activate everything in those rows and columns and stuff. I thought was cool, but it just didn't it didn't present anything that I was just like, ooh, this feels you know new or fresh or interesting. It just kind of felt like it was just kind of fine. I think people. I think that's the kind of game that I think people will enjoy. Because of how somewhat simplistic it is with the drafting and everything like that and activating those rows. I think it can be a very satisfying experience. But it wasn't anything too interesting, again, for me to want to go back to. Yeah. I did get to see the Castles of Burgundy Super Deluxe Game Found awaken realms edition i did when get are to you see getting that. your copy in i don't know i don't like i don't keep track of updates like they send updates and stuff and i don't i just don't read them because i just like send me a shipping notification that's what i want you know i don't care like oh production copy you know look how cool it looks i don't really care did it look good are you at least excited about it yes it looks amazing it looks like foundations of rome but castles of burgundy oh my gosh Bring I'm it. so pumped. Bring it to I'm board so game pumped. night. Oh, I will when I get it, which will be in like six months from now. But they, yeah, they had a copy there, and I was like, "Ooh, man, this looks good." I'm so pumped for this. I played one called the Paradox Initiative, a little bejewel, be, bejeweled game. You've got you draft these cards, and then you bejewel these little tokens that are next to you. And if you get like four or five in a row you could take one of the tokens and then that's how you, that's the resources you use to fund the cards that you just drafted i don't quite understand how it scores at the end they didn't explain it they just kind of explained the round so it, it was i don't think i'll probably learn that one that one I'll, i kind of take a pass on that but that was a very early demo copy yeah it's one of those games that i believe was funded on kickstarter and it's coming out by elf creek yeah it's by elf creek. the whole uh bejeweled portion of things with the with the pieces seems like it was going to be cooler than it was i want to hold off judgment because i think the game might actually be pretty interesting because a lot of the scoring is going to be based on whether or not the paradox tiles have been uh flipped or not so there's like letters a through f or whatever and you as you're getting the tiles they're going to have a through f and then based on if they're still active you could score points on them i think I will say this though the f- my, the f- my favorite part of that game is the fact that they have I think it was twelve different artists doing twelve different worlds in oh, that game. Yeah. That was really cool looking. They all looked really cool and really unique. The art was very very good. Yeah, I mean you had Vincent Dutre, Ian O'Toole, Beth Sobel, Ryan Lockett. You had like I mean everybody, anybody who's everybody in board gaming art was on that. Do you think your yeah, buddy did something cards. on there? Oh, man. Tell me. Clemens? Did Clemens do anything? Come on, I Clemens Franz. For the win? Probably not. <laughs> I... I did not notice it. <laughs> but oh, that would on. be cool as hell if it was what? in there. Oh, all right. Let's see what we got. All right. Do we got... Okay. Do we have him? Andrew Bosley is in this. Uh, Come on. Clemens Franz. Yes, he is. <laughs> I'm so excited now. <laughs> I told you anybody who's anybody has art in that game. Oh, facts. Facts. Oh, my God. Uh, which one, I wonder which worlds are his. <laughs> they probably have that same dude's face on them. <laughs> oh, do it up, Clemens. Uh, you got this, buddy. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. 
Um, one of the games we demoed that I actually bought was Wandering Towers by Capstone. Oh yeah. So this game, I would like to do a full review of it because I think it's I think it's interesting. But it is for a Capstone game. Normally, when you think Capstone, you think super heavy game. You think a high weight. This is very light compared to those games. But it's fun. You basically have a hand of cards. You play a, you play a couple cards, and those cards allow you to move either a tower or a meeple. And the goal of the game is to take your meeples and get them all the way to basically Ravenwood's, I think it's Ravenwood Tower or something along those lines. But in order to do that, you actually have to uh, flip over so many po- potions. And the way you do that is you take the tower and you move it down the line, and you could set it on top of another tower and setting it on top of meeples that are standing on that tower. And if you do that, you get to flip a potion. You know, potions throughout the game can give you special powers and abilities and stuff like that. I thought the game was actually really fun. Like, pretty quick, streamlined. You just do a handful of things. I bought it specifically to play with, like, my family because I, I think it's a fun kids game. You always talk about how it's always fun when kids can do something mean to their parents. Like, oh, I got my tower on top of your meeple ha 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 i did that to you you know now you can't you'd have to move the tower before you get your meeple out that sort of thing mm-hmm. it's also memory there's a memory component so we talked about memory games you have to remember where your meeple is which i was really bad at um yep. i still remember you grabbed it the rules of the game is if you touch the tower you have to move that tower and you pulled a tower up and you're like oh sh-. and you pulled up <laughs> the other tower and you're just like ah dang it <laughs> <laughs> I did so on accident too. It was so frustrating because I knew where my meeple was. I just accidentally grabbed the wrong tower. Uh, yeah, I liked it. It reminded me of an older Zot game called Spinderella that I really liked um, because you kind of moving things around. Like you can get hatch a free ride. You just don't get any control over it. Yeah, it was fun. Little, I'd say very young family kid like game. Yeah, I do. I do plan on doing a full review of it. Um, just because I th- I had I had a lot of fun with it, so I I picked it up. I didn't pick up a lot of games this time around at Origins, and that was one of them that I did pick up. Another one I really liked was a light family weight game. Was the Finest Fish? You're drafting little fish scales and then placing them to make patterns, and then you can either place them on your board you want, like either to make the pattern or to make larger groups of the same color so if you can't get your pattern you can make large groups that'll score you points or you can spend your scales to get more cards that score you points so it was very light but it was enjoyable the the scales were interesting it was really beautiful to look at i I liked that game quite a bit we also got a chance to play just one again man i love this game so much it's such a fun party game and it was cool because we got a chance to play it with people i have never played the game with before and just to have them come up with their clues <laughs> and I just, ah, oh, it was so good. It was so much fun. We like, there was a meta that was starting to develop with all the different people about what you were going to pick, what you weren't going to pick. Ah, oh, I love that game so much. It was fun playing it with like a really clever group of people because yes. they all had really unique words. Like nobody got went for the obvious. So some of them were really hard to guess because everyone went for like the not very obvious clue. So you're looking around at all the clues. And you're like, what the heck is everybody talking about? The best part is not only did we all pick non-obvious clues, there was a lot of times where we matched non-obvious clues. And you're just like, man, come on. Like, yes. really? Like <laughs> that with the game, I'm like, okay, fine. You guys aren't doing it. I'm going to go for the obvious. And I don't think I'll be, um, you know, duplicated. <laughs> it was fun. So. We talked about some of the games we played. We talked about, you know, some of the things we demoed. What was your favorite experience and over, and rate the overall con experience this time around? Of all the origins you've been to, how'd you feel? Um, I had a lot of fun this con. Probably the most fun I had. I mean, I have a lot of fun every con. Especially my favorite is late night gaming with my friends. Silly, goofy fun. Playing a lot of fun games that are just, we're, we're stupid tired. And we're just having fun. So that was my highlight. Of the, and that this year was no exception. I had a lot of fun playing Skull King. You know, telling, you know, trying to get people to bid zero and then them then sticking them with that, <laughs> the tricks. That was You're the fun. Worst. You were the those worst are, at that. Those are the highlight of my con are those late night, like punch drunk, tired, playing stupid games. I love that. So I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I could 100% 
skip the vendor hall and I would have the same amazing experience just because that's not my thing. I know a lot of people, that's why they go. For me, it's not. So I loved it. I thought it was a lot of fun. More more of my friends that go, the better. So rate it. Rate the experience. We rate games on here. Let's rate the experience. Origins out of 10. I mean, I don't know if I haven't been to any other cons. It's hard for me to compare them. So I guess I'm just comparing it to just Origins, huh? Yep. Of all the Origins. Um, nine out of ten. It was great. You know, it could have been better, obviously, because it wasn't a ten. Okay, so <laughs> wow. Yep. Uh, favorite thing in this con for me was the people, and it was getting a chance to reconnect with people that we met on the cruise, getting a chance to spend most of the convention with them, being able to play games with them, connecting with them was awesome. You know, growing that friendship was fantastic. Uh, I think meeting new people too was amazing. You know, it's always nice to, to meet and interact with new players that you share this passion and hobby with. So for me, it was, it was definitely being able to interact with the people and it was, it was being able to get to play games with new people and enjoy it. So I, I really enjoyed that aspect. I like the vendor hall. You know, it's cool to be able to sit down and talk with some of those independent, smaller, people like the people who are selling dice and it's just two people who make dice in their spare time you know to just be able to sit and chat with them there was a lady who has a wood laser cutter that i talked with for about 15 20 minutes just based on like all the different designs that she does you know those types of things are always interesting to me being able to talk to some of the publishers and see how excited they are about the games they're coming out i always think that's fun so being able to play games with those people being able to interact with the people of the vendor hall is fun i would say for me, this Origins was definitely a 9 for me as well. I'm going to give this bad boy a 9. Could it have been better? Sure. Could have been better. There was one thing that soured me slightly, but aside from that, I think it was overall pretty good. Got my hot chicken takeout a couple times. Got Mikey's <laughs> New York Slice, late night slice. I do love Columbus food. There was a couple times where my food was okay, and I was I was really offended because I know that there's like really really good food to eat <laughs> there. And so if say? my food was just okay, I'm like, yeah, I should I could have eaten really good food because Columbus has amazing food. I'm so, I can't believe you said you were offended that the food wasn't wasn't good. No, I was offended when I ate food that wasn't that was just okay. <laughs> Most of the food I had was amazing, but what? there was a couple times when I had. Very mediocre food, and it was it was offensive because I know that the food there is so good, and I could have eaten at any one of the really good food places. Where did you get mediocre food at? The the Hilton Hotel. That was bad. Uh, yeah, and, it was fine. Okay. And then Brassica. that first restaurant. No, Brassica was amazing. It was fine. That was amazing. And I ate, I got two solid meals out of that. That was great. The other restaurant we went to that first night. Max? Max. Yeah, the that was fine. Proper pub or whatever? Yeah, it was completely fine food. Because well, you didn't get the tater tots. Like, you needed to get them loaded mega tater tots is what you needed to get. But just yeah. saying, continue. But everything I had at the North Market was amazing. Brassica was amazing. The late night pizza slice. I don't even like pizza, but I love that place. It's so good. Yeah, they had a vegan uh, buffalo chicken pizza that was actually really good. And whatever the sauce they had was really creamy. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, it was just, it was really good. It was really good food. If you bought that for me and set it on my table, on the table, I would have never known it was vegan. I would have thought it was cheese and chicken. Facts. A hundred percent. I agree with that. Yes. I, I but, agree. And they didn't, the last time we went there, they didn't have it. I had to get something else and it was, um, it was just as good, but it was, I liked that vegan buffalo. It was really good. Final note of this convention. It was, it was pointed out to me that I need to change the way I look when I play games. Because <laughs> my RBF is something fierce, apparently. Because one of the people we were playing with just looked at me and go, "Bob, are you even having fun?" I'm like, "Yeah, I am having fun." <laughs> and apparently, just the RBF that I have is just a little too much for people. <laughs> I, I knew I had it. I didn't think it was that bad, though. Like, I think on, that man. all your friends just are aware of it and don't realize it. Where people that you're new, people that are new to you, you know think that you're grumpy i yeah apparently yeah apparently the uh the rbf is strong with me so that's the thing yes i'm having fun if i'm playing a game i'm having fun the thing is if that's i'm not, not always ha- true uh most of, that's all right i guess but if i'm not having fun you'll know 
there's there's going to be a distinct difference between you know my RBF and when I'm truly not having fun. What's that difference? I don't know. You tell them because you see it. You know. There's just like no jokes. Like there's no going back. Like I can uh, make you joke when you normally make you laugh. Yeah, I don't know. You you said you can tell when I'm not having a good time. Like mm-hmm. what is it that I do that differentiates the two? Well, I can tell when you're cranky. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I wear I my emotions could, I just knew you weren't cranky. I'm not gonna. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna apologize for who I am. That's just the way I am. No, you just the problem is that you don't show your emotions. You're stoic the entire time. Because <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm trying to figure out my. I'm That's why to Bob's so good at playing board games is he's focused. <laughs> I'm dialed in. You can't you can't get me off my game. <laughs> All right. That's Origins. What we did at Origins and what we thought of it. Thanks for listening to our shenanigans. Join us next week. Please help us by giving us a review and liking us on Instagram or Facebook. Send us your comments or questions to boardgameshenanigans at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. <laughs>